Coming up on Philosophy Talk, Islamic philosophy. The attribute Islamic should not be understood in religious or theological terms. Islamic here really only means the origins and development and activity of philosophy under Muslim rule. The flourishing of poetry, literature, and philosophy. Astronomy, mathematics, and linguistics. Politics, justice, and the states. Arabs, Christians, and Jews engaging and interacting. Arabic translations of the Greek and Roman classics. The heritage of the West given to Christianity by Islam. Philosophy, you know, is a singular phenomenon from the East and the West and North and South. The attribute is not to be understood anything that sort of limits the activity of philosophy itself. Islamic philosophy, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the lovely Stanford campus. And today we'll talk about Islamic philosophy. We're going to assume that most of us, like Ken and I, are much less familiar with Islamic philosophy than we are with Western philosophy. To get oriented, we're going to go back to the common historic roots that both have in Greek philosophy, particularly reactions to Plato and Aristotle. Then, in the second part of our show, we'll look at how some specific and important lines of thought in Islamic philosophy and the influence these have had on Western philosophy and science. That influence is considerable. I mean, in a way, the Greek tradition came to Christendom via uh, the translations uh, of Greek philosophy into Islamic uh, philosophy. And and uh, in our final segment, we'll look at the prospects for maybe reconciling Islamic and Western worldviews at a philosophical level, uh, and it maybe as a, as a helpful addition to the failure to reconcile them at other levels. But, you know, Ken, for the last uh, week or two preparing for this program, I've learned a lot. I, I still don't know very much about Islamic philosophy, but I certainly know a great deal more than I did, particularly the extent to which these great Islamic philosophers uh, anticipated ideas that in Western philosophy only came up much later with people like Hume. But just to make sure we're both using words the same way, let's get straight about some terminology. And, and you can answer me this question. Why do we say Islamic philosophy rather than Muslim philosophy or Arabic philosophy? Well, to begin with, John, Islam is the name of a religion whose adherents are called Muslims. It was founded on the Arabian Peninsula by an Arab, Muhammad, and the Quran is written in Arabic. That's, that's to be sure. But not all Arabs are Muslims, and only a fraction of Muslims are Arabs. Islam is a world religion, and it spread from the Middle East to the Indian subcontinent to Europe, parts of Africa. I mean, it's a—and most Muslims are not Arabs. And, and, you know, the reading I've done, which I must admit is more at a Wikipedia level than digging into original sources, but uh, according to that, a lot of the key philosophers are, are not Arabs either. The, the, the first big names is Ilkindi, who was lived in the 800s, and he, he wasn't Arab. He lived right there in the cities we hear so much about now, Baghdad and Basra. It's, it's hard, hard to think of these war-torn places as, as the cradle of... Uh, this important Islamic tradition. But Al-Farabi and Al-Ghazali and Avicenna, those are all non-Arabs. Those are all Persians. Averroes, I guess, was of Arab descent, but he lived in Spain. So a lot of the big names are not Arabs per se. 
Right. So, so then why would we use Islamic, you might wonder, rather than Muslim for this thing? That's because the word Islamic is used broadly, uh, as we said in the opening tease, for all aspects of the culture, art, architecture, literature, and philosophy that comes out of, the, out of Islamic civilization. So Islamic philosophy is not like that phrase isn't quite like the phrase Christian philosophy. We tend to use the phrase Christian philosophy narrowly for philosophers writing and defending various aspects of Christian belief. Many, many Islamic philosophers do that too, but it, Islamic philosophy, the phrase is more like Western philosophy, so it includes philosophers who don't even have a religious focus in particular. You've been very helpful, Ken. I, I knew that someday your broad Notre Dame education uh, would be useful to me, not, not to mention your insomnia, which gives you so much time to read up on things. Uh, but now that we know what we're talking about when we say Islamic philosophy and why we call it that, let's turn to our roving philosophical reporter, Polly Stryker, who dug a little deeper into the annals of Islamic philosophy. She files this report. Suppose you're a philosophy major and someone tells you there are a bunch of philosophy jobs in Baghdad. You might snicker and imagine riding to work in a Humvee, carrying your copy of Plato's Republic. But turn back the clock to 11th century Baghdad when it was a hotbed of Islamic philosophy for Muslims, Christians, and Jews. The Academy of Philosophy in Baghdad was subsidized tremendously by the state. and They gave it a name, Darul Hikmah, which means the house of wisdom, or house of philosophy, rather, uh, inspired by the notion of the academy in Athens, and they uh, subsidized translations. Hossein Ziai is professor of Islamic and Iranian studies at UCLA. The translations he's talking about were from original Greek texts into Arabic. There was a tremendous translation movement centered in Baghdad. Almost all of the Aristotelian corpus, most of uh, Plato, some of the Neoplatonist traditions, some of the Stoic traditions, etc. Ziai explained that Islamic philosophy is not the philosophy of Islam. The attribute Islamic should not be understood in religious or theological terms as when we talk about Christian philosophy. Islamic here really only means the origins and development and activity of philosophy under Muslim rule. And Muslim rulers of the 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries AD were amazingly tolerant and inclusive. In, in some of the madrasas in Baghdad, the Mustansariya and the Nizamiya, there were Jewish uh, professors. Famous Islamic philosophers include the Persians Farabi and Avicenna. Ziai says they and other philosophers under Muslim rule grappled with many issues, but a few stand out. The crucial three are the problem and question of eternity, the problem and question of immortality, and the problem and question of God's knowledge of particulars. Eternity and immortality seem fairly straightforward, but what's God's knowledge of particulars? Knowledge of particular means that we have a Godhead that knows what you and I, for instance, to put it in a caricaturized way, did today or yesterday and so on. So the distinction has major impact on religion. Can there be religions where the God does not know particulars and the God is a principle who thinks thought? Religion eventually overshadowed the golden age of Islamic philosophy, which ended by the 13th century. The brand of theology that became the dominant and dominates until today in the Muslim lands is a, an anti-rationalist perspective known as, at the time as the Ash'arite system of theology, 
And the great champion of Ash'arism was this Persian, Abu Hamid Ghazali, whose book, known as The Incoherence of the Philosophers, as you can imagine, really um, was detrimental. Lucky for the West, Islamic philosophers had already taken Greek philosophy to Europe with their own refinements via Sicily and Moorish Spain. Most of Aristotle, most of Plato, and a host of other, other material in, in the sciences and philosophy, etc., including all of Farabi, including all of Avicenna, were translated into Latin. And together, this collectivity, if you like, then plays a very important role in the European Renaissance. And so, modern philosophy in the West exists thanks to Islamic philosophers. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Polly Stryker. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.